I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The information depicted in this podcast is purely for informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional before making any changes to your lifestyle or routine. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Boost Your Biology podcast. My name is Lucas, and I'm the founder of Ergogenic Health. Together in this podcast series, we will go underground to explore cutting-edge health and human performance insights that you simply cannot search on Google to help you upgrade your existence. So without any further ado, let's jump into today's episode. Hey everyone, welcome to yet another episode of the Boost Your Biology podcast. Today I'm joined in by... Um, with Dr. Mary Party from over in the US, um, joining me in, you know, obviously there's a bit of a time zone difference, um, but yeah, I'm super excited to talk all things gut health, you know, mitochondrial dysfunction, a little bit on nutrition um, and all that good stuff. So Mary, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So I guess we'll sort of start out by, um, you know, giving my listeners a little bit of a, you know, introduction into who you are, your background and, and your story, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm trying to position myself so I can be in front of both cameras. <laughs> um, so I'm a functional and naturopathic doctor based in Los Angeles, and I specialize in integrative gastroenterology. So all things gut health, as well as hormone balancing for men and women and preventative anti-aging medicine, which is really what I'm really passionate about, really just preventing chronic diseases from ever happening and optimizing people's wellness. So I have an online virtual telehealth company. And so we see people every where we really specialize in California and Colorado, but we do have um, health clients across the globe. And that's a little bit about me. Awesome. Yeah. So obviously right now we're going through you know, pretty tough times with 
this whole this entire pandemic. Um, so, have you spent much time sort of delving into um, some immune therapies in general, like throughout this period? Or yeah, so. In the beginning of the pandemic, there was this big rush of people coming in wanting to know, you know, everything preventative, what they could do to avoid getting infected. And as all things, it's kind of, you know, people's interest, I feel like, is waning a little bit. And I really wish the media would focus more on the big story here, which is we need to prevent chronic diseases, which are one of the biggest factors that are determining the severity of COVID-19 cases. Um, So my passion is really spreading the word about prevention of chronic diseases and comorbidities, especially the ones that are increasing the risk for severe cases of COVID-19. So metabolic disturbances, diabetes, um, being overweight in general, um, all these things that we can actually prevent and decrease your risk for any serious infection. A lot of people that are getting the virus are getting mild cases, and in which case we can use immune-supporting therapies that are natural just to help with, um, you know, amelioration or supporting the immune system. There's no treatment necessarily that we can say, Um, but there's things like zinc that are going to help reduce DNA replication, so help reduce viral replication. Um, Also things like elderberry that can support the immune system. So there's a lot of natural therapies that you can use um, in supporting the immune system and boosting immunity in general. Of course. And Linking in from that is, you know, placing a huge emphasis on keeping a healthy microbiome and, you know, supporting our microbiota diversity and things like that. So perhaps we can have a little chat about um, the link between our microbiome and how that, you know, influences our immune health as well. Yeah, and there's a there's a huge link. So I actually did a whole YouTube video talking about COVID-19, specifically immune health and your gut microbiome. And so our gut microbiome is where we house about 100 trillion microorganisms. So when we talk about bacteria and human cells, it actually turns out that we have more bacterial cells than we do human cells. And what's even more interesting is if we look at it from a genetics perspective, we have about 20,000 in human genes, we have about 2 to 20 million microbial genes. So if you do the math on this, it equates to us being about anywhere between 0.01 and 0.1% human, and then the rest is microbial. Obviously, these microbial cells are much smaller than our own, so that's why we see more human than we see microbe. But um, these bugs are really, really beneficial to us because they have the ability to produce things called postbiotics, which can influence our immune system. Furthermore, the immune system, um, about 70% of it is located around the gut. So a lot of the GALT, which is the gut-associated lymphoid tissue, is going to be producing plasma cells, things that produce antibodies against viruses. And it's also going to house a large percentage of your lymph nodes, which are part of the immune system. So we have all of this um, immune tissue, and a lot of it's located around the gut. The gut's also a barrier between the outside world and the inside of your body. So we think of the skin as an obvious barrier, but the gut's really just a continuation of 
of the skin because your gut's actually on the outside of your body. It's a hollow tube that starts in the mouth, goes all the way down to the anus. And so you can view the gut as actually a barrier to help protect you from things like viruses, bacterial infections, all of these things, which is why we have some of the mechanisms in our gut, like a high acidic environment in the stomach to prevent viruses from coming in. So a journal article was actually posted about the potential for PPIs, which are proton pump inhibitors, to increase the risk for COVID-19 because they're decreasing the stomach acid so much. These are things like Nexium to treat reflux, right? Nexium, Prilosec, um, all of these proton pump inhibitors are going to reduce the acid production in the stomach so that you're not getting reflux symptoms, yes, but you're also not protecting yourself from invading pathogens like bacteria as well as viruses, which is the point of having such a low pH of the stomach. One of the points is it also helps you digest your food. Um, but we really want to look at the gut as the central to the immune system and immune function. So if you don't have a good gut function, like you have constipation, diarrhea, bloating, then you want to get that in check. And also just making sure you're taking care of your gut and your gut microbes with a healthy diet. Fiber is like the essential piece of the gut microbiome, which I'm sure we'll chat about. Yeah, of course. So you touched on supporting, I guess, like the importance of um, healthy stomach acid. Um, and perhaps for our listeners, I did a post a couple of, um, about a week ago, talking about some therapies and strategies that we can utilize to support stomach acid. So maybe do you want to sort of touch on some of the things that you like to encourage people to, to do or to use to um, support stomach acid? Absolutely. So your stomach acid is produced in response to starting the digestive process. And people assume the digestive process starts when you put the first bite of food in your mouth. It starts far before that. So we have the cephalic phase of digestion, which is where a majority of our stomach secretions actually happen. So about 30% of like stomach acid as well as some of the enzymes are going to be produced during this cephalic phase. Cephalic means it starts in the head, which means your sight, your smell, and your taste of the food is your cephalic phase of digestion. This means that when you're cooking you know, on the stovetop and you're smelling and looking at your food, digestive processes have already started to take place. This is also the phase of digestion that a lot of us are skipping more of the time because we have takeout, we've got convenience of food, um, we're doing bars, we're eating on the go, we're eating in the car. And so we're missing out on that first phase. So I'm always telling people, People, the most important thing to start with is just to look at your food, prepare it, touch it, smell it, be with it before you put it in your mouth. If you're not salivating, like actually salivating before you take your first bite, you're not ready to eat. And that can be a big game changer, especially for people with bloating or indigestion where food's just sitting in the stomach. The first thing is just like, are you being mindful about what you're eating? So mindful eating is one of the easiest ways to start. It's sitting with your food, it's smelling it, ideally even preparing it because you're going to get more time with your food beforehand. And then comes chewing. So chewing is going to help release digestive enzymes and stomach acid. And we take it for granted. Of course, we have to chew, but you should actually be chewing to the point where it becomes baby food. So pureed food. If it's big chunks, our stomach is not meant for that. So the only mechanical digestion that occurs 
is by our teeth in our mouth. After that, it's all chemical digestion using acids and stomach enzymes. But if you have a big piece of protein, chemical digestion isn't enough for that. That's why we're supposed to use mechanical digestion of chewing. So making sure that you're chewing your food well, you're spending time with it, you're smelling it, you're not multitasking on the computer while you're eating or you're driving. Um, you see it all, right? I've seen people have full meals in the cars on their way to work. And it's like, that's not the best place to be digesting your food. Yeah, absolutely. So what about linking the influence of having a healthy thyroid um, to, I guess, support not only overall metabolic health, but, um, but even... You know, I've seen some research suggesting that, you know, individuals with hypothyroidism have, obviously they have sluggish, um, slow transit time and delayed gastric emptying. But also I've seen research uh, pointing towards like the influence of thyroid in, uh, and supporting stomach acid. So maybe do you want to like talk about what the thyroid is for my listeners? Because some of them may, may not even know what, what it is and perhaps some strategies that um, we can utilize to support thyroid function. Absolutely. So your your thyroid is your metabolic set point of your body. So your thyroid's right on your throat. So it's a little butterfly gland that sits about right here. And it's really setting your resting metabolism, how many calories you're burning at rest, how much energy you're producing. It's also going to regulate sex hormone production in men and women. You have thyroid receptors on virtually every single cell of your body. So it affects almost everything. And that includes the gut. So the gut is a place where the thyroid is actually going to help support gut motility. And motility is movement in the GI tract. So when you have constipation, the first thing you want to rule out, or one of the first things, is that you're not hypo, meaning low thyroid function. So having too low of a thyroid function can cause constipation. Flip side, too high of thyroid function can cause diarrhea. So really making sure that your thyroid's in line if you have digestive issues, especially transit issues, things moving too quickly or too slowly. Um, in the gut as well, T4 is going to be converted to T3, which is the active form of thyroid function. So if you're overweight or you're having issues, making sure that your gut health is in line as well as everything else in your body so that you can maintain a healthy weight and you have good energy levels and all of the other things that we talk about with thyroid, which is like nice hair, not brittle nails. Um, you know, Dry skin can be a sign of hypothyroidism, low energy, brain fog, fatigue. All of these things can be signs of low thyroid. Um, but that's one of the big things with thyroid and gut health specifically is just this motility issue. Um, but you want thyroid function for everything. So your brain functions on thyroid hormone as well. So it's going to affect almost everything. Oops, excuse me. It's going to affect almost everything. And um, when you look at your thyroid labs, functional medicine doctors are going to view them very differently than conventional doctors. So Let's take TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone. That's the hormone that comes from the brain, tells the thyroid to produce thyroid hormone. The lab ranges for TSH, at least in America, they're actually different in different countries, um, are about 0 0.5, 0 0.4 to 4.5. So it's a very big range. And if you're going to tell me that somebody's going to feel the same with a TSH of 0.5 as they will at 4.5, I know it not to be true. So you really want to make sure that people are in optimal ranges if they're having symptoms of low thyroid function that, you know, their doctor said, oh, everything's normal, but their TSH is like a 4.2, their free T3, which is active thyroid hormones, like a 2.5. There's clearly an issue going on and they're not optimized. So we're always looking for optimal 
that lab values to ensure that the person feels good. Absolutely. And I mean, I've seen that all too often as well, you know, people presenting blood work and, and, you know, there's the reference range and they're sitting at the, the top end and it's confusing, I guess, for people because they read that, if they just get their TSH measured, they'll read that and they'll be like, oh, look, I'm actually on the higher end of the scale. It's like, yeah, well, if you it's understand. Reverse. It's inverse, yeah. yeah. The negative feedback. So, um, yeah. yeah, definitely. So what about um, some strategies that you've utilized in your practice or with clients to, let's start with somebody who perhaps is hypothyroid. What are some strategies that you can sort of implement Obviously, it's, it's very individualized, but there are certain things that you can recommend and encourage. So do you want to sort of touch on them? Absolutely. So when we talk about low thyroid function, which would be a TSH that's actually elevated, this is going to be the most common thing you'll see. Hyperthyroidism is much less common. Um, but hypothyroidism, low thyroid function, the first thing I'm looking at is, A, do they have Hashimoto's hypothyroidism? So is there an autoimmune component to this thyroid condition? Because that changes how you treat it. For me, personally, I have different ranges for TSH even for people with Hashimoto's hypothyroidism than I do for people with non-Hashimoto's hypothyroidism. So I'm being much more picky about where I want their TSH if there is an autoimmune component because we can see reduction in antibodies when we get it more tightly regulated. The second piece is if it's Hashimoto's, you're also treating an autoimmune condition, which is a dysregulated immune system. Usually inflammation is underlying that. So maybe you're doing additional testing for heavy metals. You're looking at potential causes and triggers like high stress load is almost going to be there with every condition, but especially autoimmunity, any emotional traumas that have, could have preceded this, um, any big, you know, events in their life that actually triggered it. And then really supporting the immune system by decreasing inflammation using things like turmeric, curcumin, ginger, all of the things we have in botanical and functional medicine to help regulate the immune system. Um, So that's a big piece of looking at it originally. And then also you want to support the thyroid by supporting the adrenal glands. So your adrenal glands are two glands that sit on on top of the kidneys and they're regulating how you're dealing with stressors. So your adrenal glands produce things like DHEA as well as cortisol, which is going to help you adapt to stress. Stress is not a bad thing. That's one thing that we get wrong in the health field. Stress is not bad. It's your perception of stress and it's how your body handles stress. So stress is not going anywhere. We're not going to get rid of it unless you move to an island, which sounds great right now. Um, But (laughs) you really want to optimize your body's ability to deal with it, which is optimizing your hormone levels, including DHEA and cortisol and supporting your adrenal glands. So you can use things like adaptogens, rhodiola, schizandra, ashwagandha, all of these things that can really help your body start to deal with stressors. And then we don't want to throw a bunch of supplements on if you're not getting the basic foundations for thyroid health and adrenal health, which are going to be sleep, making sure you're getting seven to eight hours per day, more for women, Um, making sure that you're meditating, exercising, eating right, like all of these things that we take for granted. But if you're just adding a bunch of rhodiola, ashwagandha, and you're eating fast food and you're not sleeping, then you're really pouring more water into a bucket that's got a hole in the bottom and it's not going to work long-term. Absolutely. There's some great points there. Um, So how about we can sort of segue into, um, we spoke a little bit about gut health at the start and um, some factors that can influence our microbiome, but perhaps we can 
discuss a little bit about leaky gut because I know my listeners will love to learn more about that. Um, so what is, what is leaky gut and like why is it so, so common today? Absolutely. So leaky gut um, is more of a layman's term for something called intestinal permeability, which is the fancy name for it. And intestinal permeability is now in the medical research. So it's an established term. Um, What does it actually mean? Well, it's easier to explain when you say leaky gut because it can be basically little pockets in the gut or little slits where things can go through. You're actually having permeability of the gut membrane. So your gut lining is really just one cell thick. So it's very small. This helps with the absorption of nutrients over the gut wall. Also becomes problematic if we have intestinal permeability. So it's got its benefits, but also its setbacks as well. And so when I see somebody who's reacting to a ton of foods, some practitioners go, oh, you have a bunch of food sensitivities. In my mind, I go, oh, your gut is not optimized. You can't tolerate anything. Why do you have intestinal permeability or a leaky gut? And so what we want to be looking at is causes or triggers for that. And so um, from a structural perspective, your gut lining should be nice and close, like bricks on a wall. You shouldn't have little spaces. When you have inflammation present, either due to things like dysbiosis, which is an imbalance of gut bacteria, SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, so having too much of a normal bacteria, Um, inflammation due to things like ulcerative colitis, Crohn's, a standard American diet, high levels of stress. All of these things can then cause a separation in the gut lining, which allows the food antigens to cross over that shouldn't be able to cross over. And then your body creates an immune response to those foods and you get food sensitivities. The food's not the issue. The intestinal permeability is the issue, which is why you have to go in and fix that and remove the offending trigger. So if you have intestinal permeability because you've been on NSAIDs, like you're taking ibuprofen or you're taking all of these things that are going to reduce the integrity of the gut lining, you've got to remove that trigger. If you have a leaky gut because you're drinking... 15, 20 drinks per week, you've got to remove the offending trigger. If it's a standard American diet, you have to switch to a whole foods diet. Um, If you're not eating enough fiber that's feeding your microbiome, that's leading to intestinal permeability. Maybe you went full keto and you didn't read the books on like a clean keto version. So you're just eating meat without any fiber. It can lead to intestinal permeability. So that's kind of my spiel on it, but it's hardly ever the food if it's healthy food. So we have to distinguish between what's a food sensitivity and what's just not a human diet. So people will come in and say, I've got all these food sensitivities. I can't eat bread or crackers or chips. I can't eat fried food. My stomach gets upset when I drink a bunch of milk. And (laughs) I try to tell people those aren't really food sensitivities necessarily. Those are more eating foods that your body's not entirely designed for. So milk is one that we could go back and forth on, but in my mind, isn't very helpful to somebody's health in general. So yeah, great points there. So it is a, it's a pretty rewarding feeling, I guess, like when you, um, particularly when you're working with clients and you see that they've now, now that you've, you know, repaired the gut and restored the lining and supported the microbiome diversity, and now they're able to re-eat those foods that they love. Like, isn't it's such a, I guess for a lot of, a lot of people that struggle with digestive health in general, it's, it's a very, um, it's a very rewarding and empowering feeling. 
Uh, oh, it's the best. Yeah. People will come to me and they've been eating six foods for the last year. And they're like, I guess this is just the way I'm going to live. I'm like, absolutely not. Like, let's get you so you can eat a bunch of foods, a bunch of healthy foods. You know, I'm never trying to say, okay, let's get fried food back into your diet. Like you'll get it. You should get to the place though, that you could go out and have a slice of pizza once in a while. And it doesn't ruin you. Like I truly believe in moderation and you shouldn't have to eat, you know, broccoli, baked chicken, sweet potato, every single meal. You should be able to stray once in a while, end up fine the next day, get up back on the wagon and eat healthy 80, 90% of the time. And then have your, you know, sweet treats once in a while too. Definitely. Actually, from a, um, from a very biohacker perspective in that scenario, is there anything that you will sort of call upon or let's say you do have like a, like a cheat meal or something like that. Is there something that you'll utilize post meal to help with like if there is any sort of inflammation? Because I know I personally have a few things that I go to if I do have like a cheat meal. I know like right, I've just induced inflammation or um, – you know, I've triggered some sort of um, damage in the gut. I'll have c- certain things that I'll that I'll lean towards to help restore that. So, is there anything? I know it's not a very, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a hack, but we can talk about it nonetheless. Yeah. So, there's a couple of things. One, I know my body, and I can go out and I can have a little bit of gluten or a little bit of you know dairy or something. And I can be fine after. So I think a lot of it starts in the brain telling your body, hey, we're going to be fine. We're built for this. We're healthy. We're strong. So I'm a big believer in our thoughts and beliefs are going to affect the outcome that we feel. So if we tell ourselves when we eat something, this is going to make me feel terrible. I'm going to be bloated tomorrow. I'm going to have brain fog, all this stuff. You're much more likely to actually experience those effects. So use your thoughts and your emotions to benefit your health, not to... Um, decrease your health. So that's a big one right off the bat. Um, other things is sometimes people, you know, I can suggest them using like DPP4 or DPP4 or 5 um, enzymes that help degrade gluten. So help you break down gluten. So you could take those enzymes with meals. Um, there's also going to be just digestive enzymes that can kind of help support you. Enzymes to help break down, you know, lactose as well as other things that can be there. So you can use supplements to help you break down your food if you're going to kind of go off the wagon a little bit. Alcohol, you can definitely take charcoal, which is like activated charcoal to help you bind the toxins and bind some of the alcohol so you don't have as much of the effects. NAC and acetylcysteine also helps you detoxify from things like alcohol or other toxins. So taking that at night, sometimes I'll do. Um, drinking a bunch of water, intermittent fasting. So if say you have a crazy cheat meal at night, maybe tomorrow you're going to skip breakfast and go to lunch because eating itself is actually inflammatory. It's an essential process, but it's an inflammatory process. So if you have a super inflammatory meal, maybe you give your body more fasting than you usually would. So I recommend 12 hours of fasting for every single human on the planet. So if you have dinner at 8 p.m., you're not going to eat till 8 a.m. the next day. But if you really go to town, maybe you're not eating at 8 a.m., maybe you're eating at noon that next day just to give yourself some more time to repair and um, detoxify. Yeah, let's have a little chat about um, intermittent fasting and sort of how you've utilized it potentially in your clinic, um, in regards to specifically weight loss? Yeah. So intermittent fasting can be wonderful for people. It works better for men in my experience than it does for women. Um, and how I explain that is that 
women are designed to have babies and actually grow an entire human being in our body, which is why we're the coolest. Um, but because of that, our body is much more dependent on stable food and energy sources coming in, right? Makes sense. We're not going to be as well off on fasting for long periods of time because our body really likes stability more so than anything. Um, so some women will do okay with intermittent fasting. Men in general do much better with it. So you put a man on intermittent fasting, they usually lose weight right away and can decrease their body fat percentages and all of these other benefits. Women, it's a little bit more iffy, especially peri postmenopausal women. I'm really not putting them on intermittent fasting as much. Um, but it can be really helpful because you're, you're likely reducing the amount of calories that you're consuming. So if you shorten your eating window from 12 hours down to say eight hours per day, you're not going to be consuming as much. You just physically can't. It also puts some boundaries up and says, okay, we're not going to be late night snacking. You know, no, we're not going to go for the cookie at midnight before we go to bed. So it allows for healthier eating patterns as well. So I really like intermittent fasting um, for some individuals. It's not for everybody. So if you're like the highest stress CEO going crazy all the time, doing a bunch of HIIT workouts through CrossFit, you're doing all these things and then you add intermittent fasting right on top of it, it might be too much stress for your body. So there's all these stressors that we have. Our body can't really differentiate where they're coming from. It's not like, oh, this is emotional versus this is spiritual versus this is physical stress. It's just stress to your body. So you've got to figure out where you're at and some people will do better. Some people won't do well, but listen to your body. That's the bottom line. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. What about, um? so obviously talking about different stressors on the body, we've got, you know, toxins, things like that. Maybe do you want to discuss a little bit about um, detoxification? Because I know in our space, people or people outside of our, our, our space, the alternative medicine, complementary therapies, whatever you want to label it as, will often regard detox as like a hoax and there's the body mm -hmm. can't detox. So do you want to dispel that myth? <laughs> Yes. So I, maybe this isn't your question, but I'm going to answer it the way I'm going to answer it. And then you can let me know if we want to redirect, but your, your liver and your kidneys do a lot of the detoxification in your body. They're very good at it. They're amazing at it. They're better than any supplement will ever be at detoxification. Um, and so I think your body's going to do a lot of it for you. So I'm not a huge fan of all these, you know, cleanses. I do believe that you can benefit though, from things like periods of changing your diet to a whole foods diet. So if we call that a detox, or if we call that a cleanse or a reset, I don't really care about the title. Um, but you're trying to support your body through just reducing its toxin exposure and kind of setting the reset button on your health. Um, so, you know, there are things though that can help your body detoxify. There's people that don't detoxify as well as other people. That's why they're more affected by mold or by dust or, you know, whatever it's going to be. Um, so I think that it's an individual process, but I do agree that your body is very efficient at detoxifying on its own. So we don't need continual support all of the time. Um, I'm a big advocate of core quarterly resets. And I call them resets more than detoxes because I think you're just kind of supplying your body with what it needs. And your body does need minerals and proteins like amino acids for phase one and phase two liver detoxification. You should be able to get those through a healthy diet. Um, your body's not intended to be exposed to the amount of toxins we are in our environment. We're not. 
Um, we're designed to be out in the wilderness where there's not all this pollution. So sometimes you need a little bit extra help, especially if you're going to go have five drinks at night. Your not, body's not designed for that either. So there's some things that we put our body through that's not natural, which is why sometimes we can benefit from a little extra help. But in general, your kidneys and your liver, if you're drinking enough water and eating a whole foods diet, should be able to take care of the majority of it. <clears throat> yeah. So what about, let's have a little discussion on potentially like glutathione. So for my listeners, they're probably not familiar with what glutathione is, but, and potentially some strategies that people can implement to support healthy glutathione production. Glutathione is an antioxidant. It's actually called your master antioxidant because it helps replenish other antioxidants in the body. So like selenium, vitamin C, vitamin E, these will all play into this glutathione recycling. And glutathione goes and kind of picks up free radical scavengers in the body. So we produce free radicals if there's any oxidative damage going on, which can be from you know things that you ate or inflammation or Im- immune system dysregulation. If you're fighting a virus, you'll produce free radicals that are essential for killing the virus. Um, so glutathione is really going to help go and neutralize anything that is a free radical in the body and protect your body from any damage. Um, so glutathione, again, your master antioxidant, um, can be taken orally as a liposomal glutathione. It has to be liposomal because it's really poorly absorbed. Um, The best source of glutathione, besides what you make in your own body, is going to be intravenous glutathione because it's going to go right into your bloodstream versus trying to get across the gut lining and taken apart into amino acids, putting back together into amino acids. Um, So my favorite is going to be intravenous glutathione, especially for immune support. If you have an autoimmune condition, sometimes it can be helpful. If you're detoxifying from, you know, any high mold exposures or there's several things that glutathione can be helpful for, but it's your, your master antioxidant detoxifier. Awesome. So perhaps we can segue into a bit of a last resort and that is fecal microbiota transplants. Yeah. So we can go a few ways. Do you have a direction? Or do you want me to just take it? Um, just take it how you want because, I mean, it's pretty, yeah. it's pretty new to me. I don't know. I haven't seen much research and I don't know in what sort of conditions they will mm-hmm. um, call upon it. So perhaps we'll have a little chat about how, how it can be beneficial or where it's used and things like that. Sure. Yeah. So I was actually just on a call with a company today about it. So fecal microbiota transplantation, FMT for short, is a process where you take the stool, the feces from a healthy person, and you implant it in somebody that has some sort of pathology or Um, imbalance of bacteria or something that changing the microbiome would actually benefit. So in the United States right now, actually, I'm not sure about Australia, but in the United States right now, um, FMT is only approved for something called a C. difficile infection, C. diff infections. It's a life-threatening colitis that can kill you. It's also very resistant to treatments in some cases. So the standard of care is going to be um, a very broad spectrum antibiotic called vancomycin or fidixomycin in some cases that kind of wipes out all of the bacteria that's there. Let's rewind a little bit because C. diff is actually caused by using antibiotics in the first place. And then the solution is using more antibiotics. And vancomycin, fidixomycin, they're actually very effective at treating it. However, there's a very high relapse rate. So it's about 25% 
a people will relapse and get it again. And this is where we see issues because now you're going multiple rounds of broad spectrum, heavy hitting antibiotics. Now, they found that fecal transplants are also extremely effective at treating C. diff infections. In fact, it's about 90% response rate, which is slightly higher than these antibiotics. So you get a better response rate or similar, but typically better response rate. The big difference, though, is that it's about a 5.5% reoccurrence versus a 25% reoccurrence. Also, in my mind, you're literally treating the root cause, which is a disrupted immune or microbiome, and you're putting in another microbiome versus trying to just wipe it out and hope that the host recovers by you know, reseeding its own microbiome. So that's where C. diff comes in. Obviously, not a ton of people have C. diff. So they've started to study it for things like ulcerative colitis. It turns out that ulcerative colitis also does pretty well. About 28% of patients um, that get FMT that have ulcerative colitis versus 9% of patients in a placebo group benefit from fecal transplants when they have that condition. So they're looking at ulcerative colitis, which is an inflammatory bowel disease. And then there just came a study looking at IBS and actually found it to be effective for people with IBS that's diarrhea predominant or mixed, which is meaning that they're alternating diarrhea, constipation. Um, we need more research on the IBS because it hasn't been clear yet. So we're just kind of redigging in because there's been some studies that show maybe it's not effective. So it's not super clear, but that one just came out recently a little bit, little bit ago. So there's some promise there as well. So I think that fecal transplants are really a wave of the future because we're getting to the root cause, which is a disturbed microbiome that's either imbalanced, leading to things like inflammation, whether it's ulcerative colitis or just this dysbiosis picture where you're getting this irritable bowel syndrome. So I'm super excited about them um, and hoping that you know the FDA takes the next step and we can do something else with them besides C. diff infections if they're safe to do so. Yeah, there was um, one other thing that I actually came across about a year ago where they... Um, that basically gave a, a, an unhealthy mouse or a very unfit mouse, um, a, you know, a fecal transplant from a from an from an, a very athletic or very fit uh, mice and saw improvements in like endurance and things like that. So potentially, we're talking now like performance enhancement from a fecal perspective. Yeah, and the the study that most people have heard about actually with fecal transplants is a mouse study, and it's looking at, um, I've seen a little bit about that one, but the, the biggest one is looking at when you have an obese mouse and you transplant the stool of a lean mouse, so of like a fit mouse, the obese mouse becomes lean and the opposite happens. So if you put the feces of a obese mouse into a lean mouse, the lean mouse gains weight. And now we know in the microbiome research that it's because postbiotics, meaning the products of your microbiome, what these microbes actually produce, are able to cross over the intestinal wall, travel through circulation, go to the portal system, meaning your liver, and actually influence gene expression from a hepatic system. So it can actually change the genes that are expressed in your liver, setting your metabolism, glucose regulation, and even possibly influencing insulin so that you're able to 
have a healthy weight or an unhealthy weight determining determined by which bugs are living in your intestines. So it's this crosstalk, they call it the, I think it's the microbiome liver crosstalk, where all of these things are actually connected because of these postbiotics, these metabolites, then go into general circulation and talk to all of your organ systems. So it's super exciting, especially from the metabolism world. Unfortunately, we have had a few things with... Um, humans and it hasn't been replicated in the human model yet. So we haven't seen the same thing that we saw in mice be replicated in humans. I have an idea that I think it's more so donor-based. So I think we just have to find that like super metabolism human donor to see if it'll influence the um, the genes of somebody who's overweight, especially from the liver perspective. So I think it's more of a donor thing versus it just not working in our species. That's what I'm hoping at least. Yeah. Definitely a, um, an, an exciting space, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll sort of wrap it up pretty soon, but I guess I'll finish off by maybe giving our listeners a maybe some your top three tips to support just general immune health, seeing as though everyone's focused on that right now. Yeah. And I'm not going to be super boring in terms of like sleep, exercise, diet. Like, okay, those are taken for granted. So I'll take it the next step. Um, so three things for immune health specifically, meditation is actually going to be one. So we've shown that meditating can actually help increase natural killer cells. So natural killer cells are the one that go to fight viral infections. And I think meditation isn't taken for granted or it is taken for granted right now as maybe just, yeah, it's great, but what does it do? It makes me calm. I'm already calm or I can't meditate. And so I think meditation really needs to be a focus of um, just our general society moving forward, especially how much unease that this pandemic is bringing to a lot of people. Um, So meditation is my number one. Um, another one I'm going to say is going to be hot, cold therapy or sauna use. Um, so saunas have been shown to help, um, support IGF one or growth hormone production. So some anti-aging benefits as well, but also can help support the immune system for sure. And help you to fight infections if used correctly, meaning not too much, not too little, but finding a sweet spot that's appropriate. So I'm a big fan of sauna as well. Um, number three is going to be eat a ton of fiber. And the thing behind fiber is that it's really going to be feeding your gut microbes so that you can support your immune system indirectly through that communication. So our ancestors, if we look at our tribal ancestors, we're eating about 150 grams of fiber per day. The USDA, I think it's like a 15 gram that we're recommending. Average American is eating less than that. Maybe it's, I think it's 25. Average American's eating about 15 though. Um, And so this is like one tenth of what we're designed to be eating. So eating six to nine cups of vegetables per day is really my goal for all of my private clients and supporting your microbiome by eating a diversity of vegetables. So not eating just broccoli and spinach, all week, but doing kale, cauliflower, arugula, spinach, celery, you know, there's so many different options. And if we can change them, your microbiome will be much happier because it's really fueled off of diversity. Awesome. All right. Well, that pretty much wraps it up for today's podcast. Mary, thanks so much for coming on to the show. I think my listeners are going to gain a lot of value and um, hopefully be able to apply a lot of what you've you know, educated us on today. So, Um, For my 
Aussie listeners, where can they uh, find you, your, some of your other socials, things like that? Absolutely. So the best way to follow me is on Instagram. You guys have my handle. You guys don't. Um, so it's at dr.maryparty. And then my website is www.modernmed.com. Modern doesn't have an E though. So it's M-O-D-R-N-M-E-D.com. Those are the two best channels. I also have a YouTube channel too. Um, so any of those are great ways to, to listen along. Awesome. So I'll be, I'll be um, linking those in the show notes for my listeners. So again, thanks for coming on the show and um, yeah, we'll keep in touch. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks, Bye, guys. See you, everyone. Thank you, everyone, for joining in to today's episode. For in-depth show notes and lessons learned, visit nofilter.media forward slash boost your biology. This has been a No Filter Media production. Say what you want. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.